Swift, president of the Servant Leadership Institute. And I want to thank all of our loyal listeners. It's been so fun to see how this program is growing over this past year. And we also want to welcome any of our new listeners to the program. I certainly hope you'll enjoy this journey as we explore how to become a better servant leader and talk to some very interesting leaders along the way and gather their perspectives on many of our topics about the practice, the doing of servant leadership. So with that, I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. Steve Arter is one of two owners and a managing member of Complete Medical Solutions based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a healthcare information technology company providing software solutions to physicians and hospitals. Steve is going to share some great leadership insights and tips and and stories and steve we're really happy to have you here welcome thank you robin i appreciate it and i and i'm happy to be here great very happy to be here maybe we can start with you telling us a little bit more about yourself that was a a very brief description of your company but tell us a bit about yourself okay uh, i will i i have a long and and i don't want to call it sorted but storied past. I, I started in the late 60s as a hippie. I had a pig farm. Okay. I raised pigs and organically gardened vegetables for about five years in Virginia. Uh, never really went to college except to play basketball for a year or two. School was not my thing at all. And uh, from from the farm in Virginia in about 1975, I I began to be exposed to some of the human development programs that were going on at that time, such as LifeSpring and EST, and, and those resonated with me. Those kind of programs, being involved with uh, people and watching people grow and evolve, that was, I finally found what was my thing. And um, I moved from there into being a, a business management consultant because I learned tremendous communication and organizational skills in those companies, in those organizations, and I was very effective at it. Uh, I decided from that point to just go into consulting with businesses. And from being consulting in businesses, I went into leading educational programs for physicians because I was a good public speaker, I had great presence, and I, I learned, uh, and I actually picked it up as a side job in about 1987, and quickly realized that I had hit the mother load as a business consultant, because there probably is no more disorganized organizations and, and businesses in this country than medical practices. And I had a lot to offer to them, and was very successful and built at that time what was the largest medical education company in the country sold it in about 1998 to a public company they put me they were a software they were a healthcare information technology company public company very large and I couldn't stand working for them I could not stand working for the man so to speak I was just too much of a shoot from the hip, freewheeling, do what I want to do kind of guy. That hippie part of you, that, that organic. Exactly, exactly right. 
And so uh, I left them after a very successful run, built, built them uh, the largest division that they had in the company in the entire history of the company, built it from scratch, and it happened to be a division of, of providing software to the federal government, particularly the Veterans Affairs Administration. And my bent has always been to find what the biggest problem is that nobody can solve mm. and then solve it. Wonderful. Because if you solve it, you don't have any competition. And it makes for a successful business model. So we dove into the VA and we found problems that they had that were costing them literally hundreds of millions of dollars a year that nobody could effectively address. And we addressed those with software. We, we basically brought the VA from being an all-paper administration system for processing of medical claims to becoming automated. And it saved them hundreds of millions of dollars, and nobody else had even thought of doing that project yet or could even begin to compete with us. And uh, we were very successful with that. And that's how we built that division. But then I decided there were more projects, and rather than be restricted by working for an organization that really didn't understand what I was about or the vision or how I worked, I would go out and do that on my own. So that's when I joined Complete Medical Solutions and as a partner, and we began to do that for uh, the VA in several other areas and have been very successful. To date, we have uh, two national contracts for software projects we developed for them. We have a state-of-the-art electronic medical record and medical practice management system that we distribute in the, in the commercial market. Just just starting that, it's been, you know, nothing goes the way you expect in business. So we figured we'd have a five-year development cycle, and uh, we would roll this out, and we'd be the first ones with a fully integrated practice management electronic health record that really was fully integrated, fully capable of reporting, and here we are about 10 years later, and we almost have it done. So it's, Perseverance. Exactly. And, and I tell you, one of the things I've learned is that you don't lose until you quit. Mm, great advice. We have had huge issues and problems and setbacks and distractions, but the thing we never did was we never quit. And we're about to deliver a product 10 years later, five years after we thought we'd deliver it, that I think will be very well received in the marketplace. That's amazing. So that's my five-minute history. Well, I have to go back on uh, the beginning of that. When you talked about some of the programs like EST, and I remember those days myself, there's a lot of self-awareness development at that stage, right? Very much. So what part of that is important in your mind to become a great leader, that self-awareness? That's what did it. That's what has made me an effective leader is my awareness and the self-awareness and the awareness of others and the communication skills and the understanding of, of how people interact. There's, there's basic rules to being human. You know, there's rules to being human that none of us talk about and you don't typically learn. For example, one of the rules of, of being a human being is that whatever you resist will persist. The more you resist something, the more it will persist. If I say to you, Robin, I don't want you to think about pink elephants right now. Don't think about pink elephants. All you can do is think about pink elephants by trying to not think about pink elephants. Yeah, exactly. So whatever you resist will persist, and, and, the, and the extent of your resistance becomes the extent of its solidification. It becomes stronger the more you resist it. 
and this is true universally as far as I can tell. And it's so, a lot about conquering fear then. If you're resisting something, is that the fear factor, right? Well, a lot. What, what keeps people in resistance, yeah, is fear, but for me, it, it's a little different. I am a huge advocate of responsibility. To me, it's the lack of being responsible mm. that keeps things stuck in place. And by being responsible, I want to be very clear, I don't mean to blame. Mm-hmm. Responsibility and blame are two entirely different things. Responsibility comes from the French derivative, the French word responds, which is to respond. And it literally means respond able, able to respond to something. So if you're not responsible, meaning you can't respond to it because you can't deal with it, you can't confront it, you can't face it, you can't take authorship of it existing in your world, then what happens is you become at the effect of that thing. So whenever I am resisting anything, I know I'm not being responsible for it. Wow, that is, that's really worth contemplating. Yeah. I, I like the way you explain that. And that took me back to the first time I met you, was, which was just a week or so ago, a couple of weeks, when you spoke with our students with the Carlsbad Student Leadership Academy. Yeah. And we asked you to share a few words with them and listen to their takeaways from their conclusion of their program. I think you touch much on this as well with, with them. Share a little bit about for young people, if you will, um, as they are developing as leaders, that that whole piece of responsibility, accountability, those kind of pieces that you shared so wonderfully with them. Um, yeah, I was really so very impressed with these young people in your in your servant leadership program, and what they took away from the project or projects, I guess it was that they had been working on. I was impressed that they were recognizing key issues in effective project management and effective leadership and they 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 nailed just about all of them they nailed just about all of them uh accountability they talked about a lot communication huge key and and they also talked touched on responsibility the whole issue of being able to be responsible or of being responsible and, and uh, you know, a week's a long time in my world. And I don't, <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I shared with them about responsibility in that regard. But I, if I, you know, am speaking to your audience here and I want to give them something to sink their teeth into about responsibility, I, I would say... Whatever it is you're struggling with in life, you're not taking ownership of. So whether it's a relationship at home, whether it's a relationship with a friend, there is something being presented to you that you just don't want to be responding to. It's something you just don't want to take ownership of. And the minute you take ownership of that thing, everything will shift. So let's see if I can come up with a quick example for you here. I was I was uh, dealing with a family issue just the other day, and and it was with my brother, and it had to do with estate settlements and things like that. And 
we got into a into an argument over things. It, it got a little bit contentious, and and I was thinking about how wrong my brother was in what he had to say, and how he was making he was making this so much more difficult for all of us, and he was the guy that was the problem. And the more I kept assigning responsibility for the problem to him, the less control I had over it. He was the problem. It's him. I had no responsibility in it. I was unable to respond because it's him. And suddenly I realized I needed to do, and this, by the way, is probably the greatest tool that you have in your arsenal for whatever you're doing. I stopped talking and arguing with him, and I started to listen to him. And in the listening to him, I began to understand he was afraid. He was concerned. He was insecure. And I began to understand what those things were that he was afraid of, insecure about. And, and, and I started addressing those, not like he was a problem, but that he was part of the solution that was pointing those issues out to me so I could resolve them. And within 10 minutes, the whole, everything was resolved. We had a written agreement. There were no more problems. We understood each other. Uh, I communicated it to the rest of the family. And it's, it's over. The issue's gone. But it started with me stopping blaming him for being such a problem and going, okay, what am I missing here? What is it I am not being able to respond to and why? And you always get to that by listening, not talking. That's one of the common themes that we talk about in servant leadership, the listen to understand. And it's difficult to do. It's a practice. It's, to me, it's a muscle that you, you practice and you get stronger and stronger as you really become more self-aware. Yeah. And, and are, am I doing more talking or listening? Exactly right. One of the things I remember that you talked to the students about um, really stuck in my head and made me think, oh, we need to have you on our podcast program, is they shared what they got out of the program and how they really learned like they needed to do what they said they were going to do. And you talked to them yes. about that, the yeah. importance of do what you say you're going to do, right? Yes. yes. Tell us a little bit more about that. That is, that is another element of responsibility. This is how you demonstrate responsibility. I've found in the world... There's no such thing as good business with bad people. And what I mean by bad people is not they're evil or something like that. I mean people that don't do what they say they're going to do. People that make promises and don't keep them. People that assert things and then don't follow through on them. Because what happens in businesses, when I'm in a business relationship with you and you're my partner, and you promise me something, I plan and I, and I set my future goals based on the expectation that that promise you will deliver on. And when you don't deliver on it, all of a sudden, all my planning and all the issues that I put in place suddenly don't work because they're built on a house of cards. They're built on a foundation that doesn't come through. So I have found that the single most important thing I can do 
in any business venture I set out on, and I, and I am big on partnerships, I have lots and lots of successful partnerships, is that I must make sure that the person that I'm in business with is a person who will do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. I, 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 a lot of this I'm going to just, I have to give credit to, to ask for because I learned that from Warner Earhart and from his organization. But if something doesn't exist in time, it doesn't exist. So if I say to you, Robin, hey, let's have lunch. And you say, yeah, great idea. Yeah. Let's have lunch. And then we both walk away. Us having lunch does not exist. But it's if just I something s- we said. Exactly. Now, you may walk away with an expectation that we're going to have lunch. And I may not. And then I never call, we never set it up, and you go, hey, we were going to have lunch, and he never did it. But it never really existed. But if I say to you, Robin, let's have lunch next Thursday at King's Fish House at 1 o'clock, and you say yes, now it exists because it exists in time and it exists in location. And there's a commitment. And there's a commitment having been made by both of us. And now I'm going to find out who Robin is by whether she's at King's Fish House at 1 o'clock on Thursday. I, th- I think I said Thursday. <laughs> can't, can't remember when we're having lunch, Robin. Yeah, Thursday okay. 1. <laughs> Thursday 1, which is why I write everything down. But, you know, now I know who I'm dealing with with Robin. If Robin shows up, you know, and you know who you're dealing with with me if I show up. And I'm there on time. It gives you a level of confidence in that person. It gives you a level of trust in going forward with oh, that person. That's the key. That is the key. Because too many of us do business with people that we know we can't trust. And we're, it's like doing business on quicksand. So I'm, I am adamant about things existing in time. We don't just have meetings and talk about what we're going to do. We have meetings and we talk about what we're going to do and by when we're going to do it. Okay? And, and I find that doing business with people who do what they say they're going to do, when they say they're going to do it, almost always results in successful business ventures. So it's not just dangling out there and people are disappointed. Why didn't this happen? Yeah. You're actually putting intentionality to it, which you also talk to the students exactly, about. Exactly, because you're, what you're doing, and you're also, and I'll talk about something I don't think I talked about, you're creating momentum. Mm, I like that. Success begets success. So if you and I lay out 10 things that we're going to do by next week, and we do them all on time, we're thinking, this is great. We, this is moving. We're moving. Things are getting done. Now, that creates momentum for us, and people around us see it, and they get involved in it. And there's a magical quality to momentum. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay? that. That allows things to continue and accelerate and makes doing things easier. But if we say we're going to do 10 things, and we do two of them, and we meet next week... We're sitting around going, well, uh, you know, gee, this is tough. Yeah. And you either have the reasons why not or you have the results. Mm. That's how I the operate. The reasons why not. You either or have the, the results. results or the reasons why not. And too many of us live in the world of the reasons why not. Well, I couldn't, Robin, because, and we all accept that from one another. We go, oh, yeah, I understand. But in our minds, we're like, hmm, great. Great. Well, you can't allow that. You can't tolerate that because what you tolerate sticks around. 
So if you tolerate excuses, you're going to get lots of excuses and very little result. So it's not being mean. It's not being a hard ass. It's not being, pardon my French on the broadcast here, it's not being, you know, unreasonable. It's it's holding people to account for what they say they're going to do. And when you hold people to account for what they say they're going to do, magic happens with people. They actually expand and grow. They like it. As much as they are comfortable in excuses, they love the fact that they're producing a result. Because they probably feel, I mean, that's exactly. that's a su- successful feeling, exactly. right? To say, I, I accomplished what I set out to accomplish. Yes, and exactly. on that note, that's a great lead into one of my questions I have, and that is, what are the top three things you can do to create a high-performing team? And certainly uh-huh. talked on trust. Yeah. You have to build trust. Absolutely. But I, I would say, and I thought about this, I saw your question in advance. I would say the first thing, uh, and I don't know if I can actually say what are the three most important because everything affects everything else, but the first thing is, and this speaks to servant leadership. You must create a vision, a purposeful vision. And I'll talk about purpose in a minute because that really in so many ways is the key to good leadership. But you must create a purposeful vision for whatever the project is that other people can take on as their own. They're inspired by it. They're enrolled in it. It's not just your vision. It's their vision. It's our vision. So people have to have a vision that empowers them, a vision that nurtures them, a vision that, that, that creates a sense of worth and contribution. So first of all, you have to have that, that vision. That vision must be created. Then the second thing is, and, and I'm absolutely meticulous about this, I don't leave it to chance. I do not bring people on my team who have not committed to that vision. You must get that team aligned on that vision. Everybody as a team must say, and that may mean changing the vision a little bit, but you need to have everybody on that team align on and own that vision. The battle's over. <laughs> you got 90% of it done right there. If you've got 10 powerful people aligned on one vision, okay, we all know what it is. And this is something I else I told the students. You will take action towards that vision, but it's not the action that will produce the ultimate result. It is the intention, it's the vision that we're aligned upon because everybody's seeing the target. And when you get off line a little bit, you every single person, because they're aligned, can bring themselves back in and self-correct. We need to change the action. You know, if our vision is to get to Chicago and we take off on the fastest route, we're taking 8 East, and all of a sudden there's a sinkhole on 8 East, Maybe we got to take another direction. Mm-hmm. But what we don't do is go, oh my gosh, there's a sinkhole on 8 East. We can't go to Chicago. We're done. No. You, because you're clear about the vision going to Chicago, you correct. And you change the action. But you keep your intention. But you keep your intention exactly right. And you keep your focus. And, and we'll talk about purpose. And you stay on purpose. And it just brings you back. 
And maybe it takes you 10 years instead of five yeah. to develop your vision. <laughs> but a great example is staying true to the course. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly I love right. that. So creating a high-performing team, that vision, uh, staying true to the intention of it. Having the entire team align on and commit to the vision. you got to be able to say to me, I, I own this vision. I am 100% committed to this. I want to be on this team. I want to make this happen. If you question the vision, if the vision is not something that you're excited about, you know, my vision is, you know, we're not going to kill any more animals, you know, and we're going to do something to eradicate killing animals, and you're a hunter, you know. unless you a problem there. Unless you can go, yeah, you know what, I'd rather keep them alive than kill them, you know. Right. You can't be on the team because you're not committed to the vision. Mm-hmm. You're not committed to it. You're not aligned with it. So alignment and getting the clear commitment from people. I used to do a program. We developed a program many, many years ago uh, for youth at risk. And a uh, very mm. successful program. We ended up in 52 cities around the world. We had tremendous uh, uh, reductions in rates of recidivism, kids getting back in trouble, going back to jail, things like that. But the program started with laying that program out to them in its entirety. And I interviewed each one of those kids. That was my job. And I gave them the ground rules of the program, what it was that they had to do to be in this program. And I asked them what they were committed to and whether this was something that they wanted to be in. And they had to commit to those ground rules and they had to commit to completing the program. They had to give me their word and shake my hand on that. And if they didn't, I said, look, you can't be in the program. I'm not setting you up for failure here. I am not going to let you in this program without a commitment to it. So go, do what, you, go do what you're going to do. It's your life. I'm not telling you how to run it. I'm offering you an opportunity here. And in that opportunity, this is the ground rule. These are the ground rules. And I will be there every step of the way to make sure that you keep your commitment to me. So it's about getting that commitment so that everybody can move forward. Now, did some of them break their commitments and break the ground rules? Pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. But you know what? We kept bringing them back to what they were there for. Improve their family life, you know, help their mother, whatever it was that had them be in the program. Bring them back to that alignment. Bring them back to that and have them recommit. And they did. And we had tremendous success with that program. So vision, alignment, and commitment. And now here's the third thing that will blow it all apart if you don't have this. It's communication. Your communication must be at a level of responsibility and accountability that is typically not seen in communication between people. For example. So let me give you an example. Um, One of the things uh, that's so very important in creating momentum and having things move forward is completion. When you complete something, you feel good. You know, a lot of people have to-do lists. They love checking stuff off their to-do list. That's completion. Well, in terms of communication, completion looks like this. It's acknowledging that you completed your task. It's communicating back to people in a timely fashion so that the entire team gets to have the experience of that momentum. So if if I ask you, for example, Robin, to, to pick up my granddaughter at school, 
Tuesday because I have a very important appointment. And you say, oh, sure, I'll pick her up. And by gosh, you're there right on time, and you pick her up, and you take her to her auntie's house or whoever it is. But you don't tell me. I'm sitting in that meeting going, geez, I wonder if Robin picked her up. I wonder it, That is mm-hmm. not complete. There's still an element of that hanging out. But if you pick her up, you drop her off, and you send me a message that says, Steve, I dropped your granddaughter off at her auntie's house at 2.30. Everything's fine. I'm done. That's complete, and it disappears for me. Okay, That's how you complete a communication. Another way to complete a communication is to say, hey, Robin, we had an agreement, and I was going to do this by 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon, but I can't do this by 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon. I can't get it done until Friday morning at 8, and I'd like to recreate my agreement with you. I'd like to change our understanding, okay, and give me until 8 o'clock to complete that. Now, if Robin says, sure, no problem, we are still intact. And there's still accountability, and we're in communication on that. But if I just go, hey, look, I, I can't get that done by 3.30. I'll do it tomorrow morning at 8.30. It'll be fine. Well, Robin's sitting there going, I was going to do this by 3.30 this afternoon. What's the deal? I can't then count on this. Then it's distracting and production exactly goes down. Exactly. Distracting. Production goes down. Trust is lost. There's a little bit of loss of trust. Even though I come back and go, hey, Robin, I got it done. You go, oh, great. I'm glad it's done. But, but yes. Exactly right. So communication is really the key to this. There must be a structure for communication that supports the project in going forward once it's been conceived and committed to. And a structure of communication that I like to use, and, I, and again, this is something I stole from, from uh, Werner Earhart, was, it's tremendous. It's, called, it's a technology called promises and requests. Okay? So when I work with somebody, I ask them for promises that, that exist in time. By when will this happen? Okay? So they promise it and commit it to me, and I memorialize it so I know what the expectation is. Now, something changes. They have an obligation then to come to me well, excuse me. If I ask them for a promise to commit to something and they can't do it, then they can counter to me. They can say, well, Steve, you want me to do this. There's just no way I can do it by this week, but I can do it next week. Now, they can also say no to me. They can either say, yes, I accept your request. Two, they can say, no, I don't accept your request. Or three, they can counter me. And if they don't accept my request, okay, i got to move on and do something else because they can't do that. But if they counter, now I have something, or accept, now I have something that exists in time. So everything that happens is based on a kind of a promise and request. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to remember it. Yeah, of this is my request, this is your promise, we memorialize it, and this keeps things going. And it builds trust. It builds trust between the people in the organization because they see they can count on each other. Now, if you can't get something done, like I said, you renegotiate the promise. But you do it in advance. You don't do it after the fact. Right. And if you renegotiate all your promises, people are going to figure that out too. 
and know that you're somebody that they still can't trust to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And that undermines the project. It undermines the relationships within the organization or the team. And it, and it slows things down. And it slows down your momentum. Those are three great things to remember. Just to recap for our listeners, the top three things you can do to build a high-performance team is, number one, creating a purpose, a vision, and have them be part of that, right? Make sure they own that and are aligned to it. And then you also want to make sure that they um, have, as you said, this communication piece, that they're good um, communicators and that they do what they say they're going to do. I mean, those are all the alignment, yes. communication, and the vision. Yes, all very because important. your project is going to, from that point on, it's going to run on communication. You've got a team going in different directions, working on the same thing. Okay? It's imperative that the team understand what's happening and what's not happening. Mm -hmm. You want the team to understand, and you can do this by daily reports, weekly reports, whatever, but you want the team to understand what's being completed and that it's being completed on time or things are changing and they're changing in an accountable fashion so that people can see that their project has momentum, that it's proceeding, that results are being produced. You want to memorialize those results. And celebrate those successes and... Well, you know, Steve, what I really love to hear your perspective on is, first of all, just, you know, at the Servant Leadership Institute, we practice servant leadership. There are many different leadership approaches. We believe servant leadership, really leading in a way that you empower and equip other people, is the most successful. Um, so tell us how you would describe, first of all, servant leadership, and then what makes a good leader? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, servant leadership is not about making money. It's not about achieving the objective. To me, it's about having a project, as we've talked about, with purpose and vision that inspires and that serves somebody. You know, you can have a project to disempower people. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not service. Whatever you're doing as a leader, you must be doing something that serves people. Love that. Okay? And that's the key to servant leadership. So that vision serves people. And then number two... As a leader, you must serve the people that work with you. I, I, I truly, and you can talk to anybody who's worked with me, my employees do not work for me in my estimation. I work for them. Mm -hmm. To accomplish what we need to accomplish, my job is to provide them with what they need to do their jobs. And I trust them to do their jobs or they wouldn't work for me. So my job is to serve them in having what they need. And more importantly, it's to serve them. See, I, we haven't talked about purpose, but purpose is very important. I, I've lived my life out of purpose for many years. My purpose is very clear. My purpose is to create the space for people to demonstrate their magnificence. Hmm. That, Say that again. That's a great... My purpose is to create the space for people to demonstrate their own magnificence. If I have magnificent people around me demonstrating their magnificence, 
things are easy to do. Yeah. Easy to do. So when I say create a space, it may be a project. It may be a job opportunity. It may just be something as simple as in a meeting, giving them the, the room to say what they need to say to get where they need to go. But it's where I come from all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and that purpose trues me. It's like going to Chicago. If what I'm doing, I'm looking out there and I'm not seeing empowered people, I'm off purpose somewhere. If I'm not seeing people who are growing and empowered and excited about their jobs and what they're doing, I'm not serving them. And I'm not being consistent with my purpose, so I have to stop and I have to go, what's wrong? Where, where am I off here? Not, they can't get it. What's wrong with them? Because right there, I've just abdicated responsibility mm -hmm. for the situation by blaming them. So I stop and I say, what am I not listening to? Just like with my brother. All of a sudden, my brother's just a pain in the neck. What am I not listening to? I'm not listening to his fears and concerns about the family and what might happen and, you know, his own future. And I let him express those. And I heard him, not like, okay, say what you got to say. I mean, I actually heard him and I began to address him with him and, and talk him through and figure him out. And the minute he sensed me not fighting him, he stopped fighting me. <laughs> so you have to be, as a leader, you have to genuinely be committed to that. You have to be committed to a purpose larger than yourself. You have to be serving the people that work for you okay and then and this is this changes over life you've got to not be attached to your role mm, that's a big one and you have to not be attached to being the leader the minute you're attached to being the leader it becomes about you being the leader and one way around that is that I, I consider myself to work for the people that work for me as opposed to them working for me. How long did it take you to achieve that mindset? Because that's a lot about how we describe servant leadership is it's a different mindset. As you said, you know, think about how powerful that is that you work for the people. That's a very developed way of being and how... For, for people just thinking of exploring servant leadership and being on this journey, I mean, how would you describe that development from where you were, the hippie on the farm, and think, listening to you today? I mean, so much wisdom and experience. It's, it's quite phenomenal. Well, that particular thing came to me very quickly when I was, my company, which was an education company, we were bought by a IT company healthcare information technology company. Now, to this day, I don't know a darn thing about healthcare information technology. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never even had a cell phone or a computer when they bought our company. And now I'm a senior vice president of a division that's all about developing software and computer technology. Well, first of all, not only don't, don't I know anything about it, I didn't even want to do it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do less because I'm like, I'm an I'm a anal 
analog native. I'm not a digital native. You know, I'm, pen and a paper is just fine for me. Mm-hmm. But I realized that if I was going to be successful in leading this division, it was not going to be because of what I do. It was going to be because I could get the best out of all of these people that work for me that actually know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I shifted just that fast to becoming a leader that was working for the people that were working for him because I didn't have an option. I couldn't go there and take a course and bone up on it and figure out real quickly, you know, how to do computer programming or technology or understanding hardware or computers. They dragged me kicking and screaming into a computer and a cell phone. But what I could do was I could empower those folks that had been doing the job for a long time and knew what they were doing. And that's what I did. I built a team of people that knew what they were doing. That was a crossroads, though, because you had another way of being. And we certainly see those type of leaders just fake it, you know, act like you know everything, have the people make you look good. And then, you know, the ego, if you will, gets huge and people don't like you necessarily and you pound on people. So there, there's definitely a choice one makes. Do I want to yes. do this? And empower people and fess up that hey I don't know everything and but I know you do or do you go the other route which we've all known those type of leaders that just basically fake it I guess is the best way to say it well they're to my mind they're so they're so concerned with their own image that they lose sight of what they're about of what the project Mm -hmm. is and what they're trying to accomplish and that's that comes for a variety of reasons you know insecurity uh, you know whatever but um, I had a propensity. I mean, it was pretty much predestined I would go this way because I, I got one, I think my strongest virtue. I am the guy in the room that will ask the stupidest question that nobody else wants to ask. I really am not concerned with what people think of me or how I look. I just want to know the answer because I'm committed to having things work. Mm-hmm. And if I don't understand those things completely, I can't, I can't have them work. So I'm the guy that's sitting there in a high-level meeting, and I raise my hand, and I ask the stupid question that everybody at the table, I think everybody at the table Wants should know. Wants to ask, too, perhaps. But it turns out exactly right to be the question that nobody really un- had the answer to but didn't want, didn't want to ask. Mm-hmm. We all try to, you know, yeah. there's image, and they want to make themselves look better in front of certain people and yes so it is a humility so there's many things you touched on I think that make a great leader and and certainly the way about you I could tell again going back to our evening with the Carlsbad Student Leadership Academy students that I think you really touched them as you challenged them to think about action and intention and also just these days we take on so many things and I, I appreciate the way uh you really speak to this whole subject and you've obviously spent many many years in contemplation yourself and growth and thank you so much for sharing all of this knowledge with with our audience today and thanks for having i i am going to ask you um will you come back on another show sure and let's set a, a time in two months how about that sure yeah i'd be happy to that would be great yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna follow up with you on that and okay. there's lots to explore and is there anything else in our final moments here that you'd like to share with the audience i, I think there's one other thing i think might be really useful uh to them 
and this is the other thing I consider. I, I've been involved in a lot of projects and I've done a lot of things. And I think the thing that has served, one of the things that has served me most is I get into action immediately. You know, there's a saying that uh, an idea, let's see, what is it? An action without thought is very little. But thought without action is nothing at all. So for me, when I see something that I want to do or I, I believe in, I do not hesitate to go get into action. I start putting up by wins, looking at commitments, boxing myself in with commitments to, to make inquiries, do questioning, uh, develop resources, find out the viability of it. And I don't sit around. I just move into action. And you know, probably half of the things I've gone into action on at least never came to fruition, but I went into action on them. And the other half did all right. But it's, you know, get into action. Don't sit around and think about it and figure out the right way to do it because everybody's got a plan. I have never in my life followed a plan. I've always had one. Yeah, I, re I like this, what but you say I, about plans. But I never follow it because things change. I am paying attention to my surroundings, to the environment, to the situations, and they change, and I have to be able to change with those. So don't be attached to your plan. Start with your plan. Feel good about your plan. Move forward, but don't let your plan box you in. That's great advice to end with, and also just that stay flexible and, and um, you know, it's great to have a plan, but know that things change. And, and I love, like you say, just take action. Yeah. I, I'm a lot like that. And that means you're going to make all kinds of mistakes. Yeah. You know, that is an entrepreneurial kinds of, uh, of, of way of being in that sometimes you don't know exactly what you're doing, but you get in, you try things. And it, as long as your ego doesn't get in the way and you just let people know, hey, yeah. you know, this didn't work let's yeah. try something else don't be afraid to say it didn't work and another thing from a leadership perspective and then i'll be done is uh i want to say to those of you who are leaders out there the greatest gift you can give to someone is to allow them to contribute to you too many leaders i see trying to say everything do everything do it my way i'm the smart one this is how it's done and that actually suppresses people it doesn't allow people to contribute. But when I can contribute to a, a great leader, it it develops my sense of self-worth. I feel like I've really, mm. I got something. Mm -hmm. I was able to help him or her. So allow people as a leader, ask for people's help. Let them know that they can contribute to you. That's great advice. And they will. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah because now you're adding value by letting people help you. It's kind of funny, isn't it? But yeah, it, it's so yeah. powerful. Steve, thanks again. You're welcome. We thanks enjoyed um, your wisdom and, and your insights and your story. Thank you so much for your time today. And thanks, thank you, thank you to our listeners for uh, being with us. And we look forward to you joining us at our next podcast program. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And for more information on the Servant Leadership Institute, visit us on our website, that's www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. And registration is now open for our 2018 Servant Leadership Conference titled Shift Into Drive. On stage, we have the pleasure of having presentations by our founder, Art Barter, as well as Mark Miller, VP of Training and Development for Chick-fil-A, 
Returning from last year, we have Vicki Clark and also Ken Blanchard, with more speakers to be announced soon. The conference will be held at the Marriott Marquis in San Diego, California, February 19th and 20th, with a complimentary networking event February 18th. And you can also subscribe now to receive our weekly tips by going onto our website. These are great short tips that are intended to challenge and motivate you while you are going through your servant leadership journey. And finally, we would love you to grab a copy of our latest publication, The Servant Leadership Journal, written by SLI founder and CEO, Art Barter. This is an 18-week journey to transform you and your organization, available now on our website and on amazon.com. Thank you for listening and allowing us to add value to your day.